listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. Today we have Jason Roberts and Rachel Schneider from the REI Blueprint. Jason and Rachel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, man. Thank you. So can you tell our, our listeners a little bit about what your real estate background is, what you guys are doing now, and just kind of walk us through your story? Yeah, I guess we got kind of a pretty interesting background for how we got into real estate investing. You know, we owned a business prior to being real estate investors, and that business got caught up in the 2007 through 2012 nightmare. We had a, a multi-million dollar company. Things were great. And then one day they weren't. Um, sure. We had, you know, close to a hundred employees. Things seemed like they could never, you know, the good could never end. And then one day it was drastically different. And we lost money every month for, for a couple of years. I lost my own house to foreclosure. I had to file chapter seven bankruptcy, had cars repoed, went through a divorce at the same time. So pretty much everything bad that could happen all happened like right at the same time and left us in a, in a pretty bad, dark place. And I ended up on a whim at a four-day short sale training, actually, that was free. It was the first and only time the guy that taught this four-day training had ever done it for free. It was the only reason I was there is because it was free. <laughs> I couldn't have paid to go. And what we saw was was a blueprint to a new business. You know, That was October 2010 was when I went to that event. And that was right in the middle of the market collapse and foreclosures. And we saw it as an opportunity, number one, to help people that were that were upside down and, and need to get out from under their assets. Um, and we also saw it as a business opportunity for us to, to get back on our feet. And that very next year, having never flipped a house ever in our whole life, we flipped 111 houses. We made over a little, a little over 3 million bucks. And that was what we needed to say, hey, this real estate investing thing is, is pretty cool. <laughs> we can do something with us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> $3 million is a good incentive. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it, it is. It was a good motivator coming from a place of being completely broke and needing to reestablish ourselves for sure. Yeah. So can you tell us, well, first of all, where, where were you flipping? St. Louis. St. Louis okay. area, surrounding counties, yeah, in Missouri. So all in your backyard, projects yep. you could go see yourself. So what kind of strategies did you use? What approaches did you take? I mean, you were just out of bankruptcy, you said. So I imagine you probably weren't in good with the banks and right. you probably had to get a little creative. Can you elaborate a little bit more on, on what you learned, what, what approach you took and how you were able to uh, scale so, so rapidly and become so successful? Yeah, looking back, we really kept things very, very simple. And our, our main goal was to reduce our risk as much as we possibly could, because we didn't want to go back to where we had been. Right. And so everything that we did that first year, it was all pre foreclosure marketing. We acquired the properties through doing short sales with the banks and we wholesaled or wholetailed every single one of those properties. So we were in and out of them as quickly. Most of them were sold before we even closed on the deal. So that, that really reduced our risk. We used hard, hard money um, to get started, extremely hard money. We didn't, um, we didn't even know that there were hard money lenders. Yes. So we found one guy who was willing to lend to us. And you know, the first three deals, we had to give him 50% of our profit. And then after, <laughs> yeah. after that, we paid three points per month hard money. So we, we didn't know there were hard money lenders. You know, we didn't know that that world existed. So we, uh, yeah, we, we paid the piper. Yeah, we definitely did. But 
all that said, you know, 50% of something is better than 0% of nothing, right? So we were, we were completely okay with whatever it was going to take just for us to get that start. We were willing to do, I mean, looking back, we'd have given 75% of the deal if it just would have meant that it got us going. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for that. Some people yeah. balk at, at giving up a large piece of the pie, but I, I've always yeah. been a big, big advocate of it and a big fan of getting the experience, getting the credibility, you know, even if it's not a huge home run on the, on the pocketbook side, at least you can walk away from that with the experience to go to the next investor and say, look, I've done this eight times. Exactly. You know, that's a, a step in the right direction to getting cheaper money going forward. Yep. That's exactly um, what we did. I followed very similar paths where where I paid a ton amount for money up front. And then once I, because a lot of the hard money lenders out there wouldn't work with people without experience. So I basically paid for my experience and then started getting cheaper money. So definitely understand that. What type of houses were you flipping? Did you have a particular type of neighborhood, particular price range that you were comfortable with? And why'd you choose that? Really, we were, you know, if you were were to evaluate those deals, they were all within our kind of, you know, meeting, medium housing numbers and primarily single family residents. But some of those deals brought us some multi-units. We did a couple of those that first year, but they were your, you know, foreclosure filings were at such a high. What, what were we at? Um, 150 filings a day. So we didn't, we didn't really discriminate. You know, we, we drew an hour circle around yeah. where we're at and said, you know, I don't really want to drive any further than an hour to meet with a homeowner to do a deal. It's outside of our, our comfort zone, right. you know, so we just kind of drew an hour from where we're at. It was five counties and about a hundred to 150 foreclosure filings a day at that time. Yeah. So, the, the only thing we took out were, you know, being so close to such a downtown area, you're always going to have your kind of high crime. We kind of refer to it as those war zone areas we eliminated those zip codes and we, we marketed to the rest and we weren't buying and holding anything. So if it wasn't a deal that we wanted to take down year two, when we actually started rehabbing, then we just wholesaled that off to somebody else that wanted to take that deal down. Awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about your, your marketing strategy? Were you direct mailing? It sounds like door knocking, getting the seller's attention and then going out and meeting with them personally. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that process? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's kind of what set us apart from our competition. I think, you know, you asked the question earlier, how did you do 111 deals your first year? We didn't have real estate experience, but what we had was business experience, right? And there, there's so many educators out there that are teaching how to make a million bucks in real estate investing. But what they don't teach is how to run a profitable business, how to run a successful business. So everybody gets excited about this idea of making a million bucks, but what they aren't taught is how do I do that while I'm working 40 or 50 hours a week at my full-time job and I'm, I'm trying to start this on the side? And you know, there's all those components and it can be done, but you got to know how to do it. And I think that was a big part of our success is we used the success that we had in building a successful business. And we just modeled it over to this. The only thing that changed really was the product, right? So we were, I think, what I would like to say, we learned how to be excellent marketers in our previous yes. business. And we took those ideas and said, how can we bring them into this real estate investing world? You know, direct mail only has a response rate of one to two. That just didn't sound good to me. You know, like we did more than that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're, we're going to mail a hundred letters and one person's going to call and that doesn't mean we're going to get the deal. It just means they're going to call and they might say, take me off your list. And what now? Yeah. So we started looking at some really cool things like, how can we reach these people where they're at? And in our previous business, you know, skip tracing was something that 
that was super important. And so we use skip tracing to find alternate phone numbers for these sellers. We found their social media profiles. We found their email addresses. And we started to build marketing campaigns that reached out to people where they were. And everyone else was teaching direct mail. And direct, don't get me wrong, direct mail works to a degree. But man, if I can find these people and send them a Facebook message, if I can shoot them an email, if I can send them a text message or leave them a voicemail or just call them and talk to them, that has such a higher hit rate. And if I can do all those things together consistently in a combined marketing effort, that's how we did you know, 111 deals in a market where everyone was doing short sales at the time. Right? So can you define skip tracing for us and, and kind of tell how you go about that process? Yeah. So the first and only job that I ever had, really, it was pretty much Rachel's same story too, was at a collection agency. I, I worked there from the time I was 18 to the time I was 21. And at 21 is when we opened our own business. And at that collection agency, you know, we would get an account from Discover where the debtor, the person who owed the bill owed 7,000 bucks to Discover card. And my job was to call them and see if they could pay. But I would call the number and it would be disconnected. So now we've got this $7,000 Discover card and no way to get a hold of them. So we sent him off to this department in our com- at the company we worked for. It was called the Skip Trace Department. And they utilized these different online platforms to locate people. So there are databases out there that compile information on all of us, right? It's actually kind of scary that I could take your name and just the city you live in and I could get your social security number, I could get your date of birth, I could get where you work, I could get where you bank, I could Parents, get your information, yeah. your neighbors, your yeah, sister, brothers, all of it. It's scary. Um, it's scary what you can get out there. Now, on the real estate investing side, you know, we don't we don't need their social, we don't need date of birth, but what would be extremely beneficial is a cell phone number. You know, we don't when we're pulling pre-foreclosure data or probate data or any real estate marketing data, we don't get their phone number. So now I can get their phone number. Most investors aren't getting that. So I'm already, you know, getting a leg up on my competition. I can find their Facebook profile. I could send them an inbox Facebook message. Most investors aren't even thinking. No one teaches that. I don't know why. We've been teaching it for six or seven years. We could send them an email. We could shoot them a text message. There's all different things that we can do that I don't know about you, but I don't even really check my mail anymore. So nothing of importance comes in my mailbox. It gets delivered to me via email or, or some sort of online platform. So, you know, we've got to be adapt. We've got to be able to change. We've got to be able to reach people where they are. And what worked five or six years ago may not work today. And what we found is a lot of what was being taught was stuff that worked five or six years ago. So with the skip tracing, you know, we were able to, to find phone numbers that our competition wasn't finding or... Even alternate property addresses, right? right? Because in some of this marketing, they don't even live in the home that we're trying to acquire or that we're marketing on. They live someplace else. They've already vacated the property. Right. And so it gave us those other, those other communication avenues that we really took advantage of. And skip tracing really helped us find all of those. Okay, so we use skip tracing and we have all these creative ways to reach out to the potential sellers. Can you elaborate a little bit more on the pre-foreclosure or the foreclosure or the short sale process and how you're negotiating with these banks and, and what that looks like? Absolutely. It's a different type of investing because there's just more to it. And a lot of people don't like them. They become frustrated with the bank, but with anything, there's a process. And once you understand the process, you're able to make things a lot smoother. And so when you go to this homeowner appointment, the great thing is, is there's really no sale in this deal because the alternative for this homeowner is foreclosure, or let me give you an opportunity that might help you avoid it. And so 
that to me for people who are worried about making sales or anything like that, that it's a phenomenal strategy for you. You really are helping these people so much, but you have to get a package completed. So it's not as simple as just getting the contract signed. You know, every bank, Bank of America, Chase, Wells Fargo, U.S. Bank, all the big banks and even a lot of the smaller ones and smaller servicing companies, they all have their particular short sale package. You take that package, you get it filled out, and then you collect some personal documentation because they want to make sure that there's no strategic default on this homeowner side of things. So you're getting tax returns and bank statements and paycheck stubs from these homeowners. You collect all of that together and you submit it up to the bank. Depending on where you live, if you're in a state that forecloses through the judicial process or the non-judicial process, that really depends on your time frame. And we have got great experience in this area because in the state of Missouri, we're, we're 21 days to foreclosure. So from the time the filing happens, it's a 21-day notice and that's your foreclosure sale date. That's how quickly that time frame moves for us. So by the time we pulled this data, we basically had 21 days, calendar days, to get their foreclosure sale date stopped so we could even start the short sale process because we're a non-judicial state. And the way I remember that is non-judicial, there's no court process for the foreclosure. The bank doesn't have to go through a court process. And so it's generally very quick timeframes. Missouri happens to be one of the fastest states. So you'll find non-judicial states that have 30 days, 60 days, have a little bit more time than we do. If you're in a judicial state, your time frame is much longer for the foreclosure to actually take place because there's a court process attached with it. So you do have more time to get that foreclosure sale date stopped and actually work the short sale. Cool. So now you've got your hands on the property. So it sounds like a, a good many of them you short sailed, but you, you did flip a lot as well. So it doesn't sound like you guys have any background in construction. So how did you approach that bear? I, I came into this with no construction background and I was so afraid of the, the pr properties that maybe were a little bit more beat up. I've gotten more comfortable with them over time, but I'm just curious to see if y'all have any feedback on, you know, what it was like going into a property. You had no idea what it took to fix, how you worked with contractors, how you didn't get ripped off by contractors, how you, how you found reliable contractors or what that process looked like. Good question. That first year, we didn't do a single rehab, not one. We had many opportunities, but it just, it wasn't we didn't know how to do, yeah, We didn't know how to yeah. do it. We didn't, like exactly what you just said. We, we had no construction experience. We knew nothing about that side of the business. So the first 111, 112, I don't even know what the number was that we did. We bought those houses and resold them as they were. And we had an average profit margin of right at 30,000 bucks without even touching them. So it wasn't a, wasn't a bad gig, but we started to look at that and say, man, that $30,000 margin could be a $60,000 margin if we, if we knew how to do this. So I think we started with just some simple cosmetic rehabs, you know, some, some carpet paint cabinets. Surely you can't screw that up, right? And, and well, we kind of educated ourselves. Like for, for instance, it made me very uncomfortable to walk into a home and really have no idea what it would be to replace the flooring or what it would take if we needed to put in new trim, all very cosmetic things. But if that's not your world, you don't have a clue. And I took my personal house and went to the local hardware store. It was Lowe's specifically. And I bid out my whole house as if I was going to be redoing it. Right. Because I knew that I could walk into any kitchen 
about the same size as mine, or this is double the size, or this is half as big, but it started helping me understand what the numbers for materials were and what labor was going to cost me also. Got it. Can you guys walk us through your, your biggest deal, your biggest success story? Wow. We have luckily had multiple six-figure deals. But I think that, I mean, probably, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 of them that we've done that were 100K plus. And, and spent we've been most, doing this for a long time. Yeah, yeah, mostly in the short sale space. But I, I will talk about the first one we did that I remember that we made 100 grand on, which was at a time, by the way, that we were, we were still pretty broke. This was one of the deals in 2011 when we were just coming off of being completely wiped out. And it was a four-family property, okay? They owed about $400,000 on it. And the rent roll, it was fully occupied. And the rent roll was about four grand a month. And it was a short sale. So for those that aren't familiar with St. Louis, probably in any metropolitan area, you know, you can have one street of half a million dollar houses and, and a street or two over it's, it's boarded up. Right. Um, and yeah. that was kind of the area that we were in. And, you know, one of the parts of a short sale, which we teach how to do short sales in a, in a four day event. So, I mean, it, it, it's, it's tough to pack it all in here, but long story short, it goes by comparables in the area as how the bank assesses what the property is worth today. It has no bearing on what they owe on it. So the fact that they owe 400 grand on it has no bearing on what we can buy it for. Well, the only two comps that were within the bank's radius were two boarded up multifamily houses that had sold for 30 to 40 grand. So we were able to buy this property for 42, $43,000. I don't remember exactly, but it was 42, 43 grand. We were able to buy this property. Now, anybody that invests in multifamily would say, you can buy it for 40 grand and it has a $4,000 month rent roll. Keep, Keep that it. sucker forever, yeah. right? You're back to zero in, in 10 months. But we didn't need $3,000 a month, $4,000 a month in cash flow. We needed cash. We were broke, broke. And so for us, it made more sense to throw that sucker on the market and sell it. And we put it up for, I think, 160, right at 159.9, I think is what we listed it for. It sold instantly. Why wouldn't it, right? I mean, even at 160 grand, that's a crazy good rent and buy an old deal for somebody. Right. So that was one of the cooler, more fun kind of stories because it was at a place where $100,000 in cash meant the world to us. You know, I mean, it meant, it meant some sort of normal coming back to our life. It meant we could invest in our business a little bit. And I think we see people do this in real estate investing that they enter and exit out out of the deal for what they think is best for the deal. And a lot of times it needs to be what your personal situation is. You know, there are people that would look at that business model that we ran that first year and say, you guys were crazy. You left so much money on the table. I'm cringing that you didn't sell it for 400. Yeah, <laughs> yes. But it is what was best for us at that time. Now today sure. that deal comes around, even at 160, that deal comes around, we're <laughs> right. buying that thing and we're holding it for the rest of our lives. But at that period of time, large amounts of cash is what was going to get us to the next point and what was going to allow us to build this into an actual business. And that's what we needed to do at that time. Yeah, it gave us money to invest in our own rehabs. Yeah. It gave us money to market smarter. It gave us money to educate ourselves better, you know, like stop the, writing, handwriting our own letters and yes. envelopes and stamping them and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, it sounds like y'all made the right move. How about, do y'all have a deal for us that, that you lost money on that didn't work out? Something that went terribly awry? 
that would have been one of your deals that you brought to us. I yeah. think you, see, you see, she's not going to take ownership in that. No, she's going to take that's no all that. you. <laughs> and in all fairness, she is the detail one. She is the protector. And she said not to do this deal, but this was, I sometimes don't like telling the story without the context because for newbie investors, they get scared. And this is a lightning strike incident. This does not happen. Most of I, I've never met any. I mean, we, we coach some of the top investors in the country. We speak together all around the country. I've never heard of this happening to anybody else. I share that because I don't want to freak out a newer listener that this is something normal. But we had started to make some money and there was an opportunity to buy a house at the auction for 575 5,000, which in St. Louis is a super, you know, I mean, that's, that's well, that's two to three times the median. And we, we determined the after repair value to be right around a million dollars. So it, it had some huge upside. We were scared. It was risky. We were borrowing hard money. And at the time, like I told you, we were paying three points per month. So it was about 16,000 a month in hard money interest payments. So it was a little nerve wracking, but there was, there was two to $300,000 in profit on the table. Easy, right? So we go to the auction and buy the property. And we had tried to work it on a short sale prior to it going to auction, but the seller wanted no part of it. He, oh, it's, I'm not going to get foreclosed on. He was kind of a big shot. He was friends with the owner of PNC Bank. So he said, and you know, it's never going to go to foreclosure sale. I haven't paid a payment in four years. They're never going to foreclose on me. And so he kind of shooed us out of his house. And we told him, look, man, we're, we're going to buy it at the auction if you don't work with us. And we don't want to do it. But if it comes up on the auction block, we're going to bid on it. And sure enough, it came up on the auction block and we bought it. We immediately drove to his house and said, hey, you know, we'll, we'll pay you. We'll pay for your movers. Like we, we don't want, you know, we knew we had plenty of profit on the table and the guy, the guy refused it. He refused to leave. And so we filed for eviction against him. He hired an attorney. He postponed it. He drug this thing out. Long story short, we finally got him out of the house. We did the rehab. We put, I don't know, probably close to a hundred grand in the rehab. So we're in it for 675 and we put it up on the market right at a million. We had over 100 people through our open house. The very first day we put it on the market, we got a full price million dollar cash contract. We're all excited. You know, we're, we're going to make a couple hundred thousand bucks. This is awesome. Biggest deal we ever did. And that guy files a lawsuit two days before closing against us and keeps us jammed up in court for over a year. And this is why the, the legal process, he shouldn't have been able to do it. He wasn't right. We bought it from the courthouse steps. We, we bought bought it from the county foreclosure auction. You know what I mean? They're, they're, he has no claim, but that's not how our court systems work. You know, you can, you can sue anybody for anything, whether you're right or wrong. And that's what he did. And so of course our days on market went to over a year. The buyer bailed after a month or two and we ended up selling the property for basically what we had into it. But what we didn't get back was a year and a half worth of hard money. And we, we lost about 200,000 bucks, which out of four or 500 house flips we've done at this point, that was really the only house that we've ever lost money on. Oh, wow. It was crazy. I mean, there's a whole lot more to the story. I don't want to take it on forever, but it was absolutely insane. Yeah. So it sounds like you guys are spending a lot of your time and energy today in the education sector. So are you still pretty active with your investing or are you spending more of your energy on the education? I think our heart, you know, we both came from rough upbringings. We both came from low income households. We both came really from nothing. And there is no bigger reward on the earth than to be able to take somebody where we came from and be able to have the quality of life that we have now. You know, we, we don't have 
debt. We're down at this place called Cloud9 Ranch. She's been here for almost two months now during this quarantine. We run several multi-million dollar businesses and they're all okay. None of them have debt. None of them, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I'm not bragging. I'm just simply saying that I'm really proud of of what we've been able to accomplish. I mean, our kids are outside riding bikes right now and having fun. You know what I mean? We're off in our own kind of world here and it's been real estate that has provided us the ability to do that. And when we started, we never had any intention on teaching it. I was part of a mastermind group and they own this thing called Aria. I'd never even heard of Aria. He said, hey, will you come share your story? And that's really what started REI Blueprint is we were able to just teach what we did. And then we saw other people's lives changing and and them, you know, sending us text messages. I just paid off my car. I just paid off my house. I just quit my job, like all this super cool stuff. And I love flipping houses, but there's nothing more rewarding than being able to really, truly change somebody's life in a positive way. And so we're still actively investing. We have focused more on wealth building than anything. We've, we've started into multifamily a lot. We've done some apartment buildings. We have a hard money lending business with our own cash that we lend out to students you know, across the country that helps, helps us to build wealth and helps them to do deals. So we're, we're definitely still very active in the real estate space, but I, I think our heart and our passion is around helping other people to experience the same thing. That's awesome. So you said you, you've recently started in apartment building investing. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? How, what, what model are y'all are you syndicating these deals or, or what do those look like? What kind of, what size apartments are you going after? How are you putting those together? What markets are you looking in? Well, the most recent one that we did, we're, we're pretty open to any market anywhere. I think we, from a time situation, really like playing more of a financial partner in the deal. Passive investing. That's for us. Yeah. Not happening to have our hands in the day-to-day of it works well for our schedules and, and what we've tried to build. But a recent one that we did is in Kansas City. So it happens to be in our same state. It's about four hours out away from St. Louis. That is 22 units. And that, that's a really cool deal because it's, it's 22 units, but we lease it out to one tenant, which happens to be a non-for-profit. And they then lease out the individual units to their own people that they house. And so their money comes from grant money. So in this current situation that we were in, we were actually had a meeting about it a few months back thinking, do we want to keep this? What do we want to do? Should we maybe cash out? And now uh, that's the best tenant that you could have right sure, now. Sure, sure. Everybody was, everybody was knocking Section 8 until the government's yeah. only one paying. Absolutely. <laughs> so all, um, all 22 units paid in full every yeah, month. Yeah. yeah, and so that deal looks a whole lot better right now because of sure. that. We're not worried about if we will collect this month's rent or not. But it was, um, a, it was a cool deal. It was a deal a student brought to us. Yeah. We bought it for 300 and some change. We put about $300,000 into it. I think it's at about 1.1 right now. It appraised value. for 1.1. So we've got an instant half a million dollars in cash equity in there if we wanted to sell it, which is super cool. We've got, what, fifteen, sixteen thousand $16,000 a month in rent. I think it's, I think it cash flows about five or $6,000 a month, positive cash flow. I mean, awesome, right? Yeah. Sounds like a We don't run. own all of it. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a super cool deal. The student retained 33% ownership without putting a dime of their own money in it. But they, they found the deal. They managed the rehab. They did the work. But it worked for everybody. You know, it was, a, it was a super cool deal for us and for them. Yeah. So I wasn't going to bring it up because this episode's not going to air for two months. And it, it could, so many things could change between now and then. But you brought up the corona economy. So I'm just, I'm curious as to your thoughts on the direction that, that 
the market's heading and how you're tailoring your investing or how you're teaching your students to tailor their investing to the potential shifts that we might see coming. Yeah. Well, as of today, the market's crazy hot. My phone's blowing up with text messages. We both just got off of two days of coaching calls with all of our students and they're like, I had 27 showings and got seven offers and I just sold this house for 15 grand over list price. Like if you're in the middle of a rehab right now, you need to finish that thing up and throw it on the market tomorrow because it is hot, which is amazing. My prediction is with all of this, you know, there's the trickle effect, right? We have a lot of people that have not been able to work, which then hurts businesses. Some of these businesses will not survive this. Unemployment rates will unfortunately go up. I think that loss of income we'll see when they're able to start filing for foreclosures again. I think we're going to see a spike there. There's going to be a lot of people that need to be guided and really helped to overcome kind of the financial hurt that we're going to see from this. So I think there's going to be incredible opportunity for short sales to come back into play at a much higher level because I think those filings will really increase. I also think that we've got a lot of people that took on a lot of Airbnbs and probably were not leveraged correctly because when you're basing your rental income on a weekly rental, we like to maybe finance more than we should have on those. And it's unfortunate. And, And when I use the word opportunity, I don't mean for us to gain from someone else's pain, but help them overcome the situation they're in and and have that work into our business as well. But I think a lot of those people in Airbnb are going to be in a bad situation that it's going to be a slow recovery for that industry, in my opinion. And so I think there's going to be a lot of properties to be picked up in, in that area as well at some really nice discounts. I was always kind of envious of the vacation rental folks because they just seem to be raking in the cash. But I, I, I refused to get involved because it didn't seem recession resistant to me. But I was just thinking about your run of the mill normal recession. I, I didn't even comprehend everything's closing down and they're going to be outlawed right. for the next three months. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I have some friends that are in that space and they're not loving it at the moment for sure. Yep. So do you have anything else you want to share with our our listeners before we hop into our radio round real quick? And I I will just say that the next 12 months are going to be, in my opinion, some of the biggest opportunity to shift wealth that we've seen in, in probably eight to 10 years. You know, you can make great money in real estate investing in a stable market and an appreciating market where wealth transfers hands the most is during instability, change, right? The year we made the most money in real estate investing was when the market was crashing, was going through a turmoil period. We're going to see that over the next 12 months, in my opinion, and there's going to be a ton of opportunities. So for those of you that, you know, I mean, Warren Buffett's uh, you know, probably one of the smartest investors in the world. And one of his old sayings is, is be greedy when others are fearful, be fearful when others are greedy. There is more fear right now than there has been in in the last 10 years. There's going to be a a lot of opportunity for people that want to get into real estate investing and learn real estate investing. You just have to educate yourself and make sure that you're doing smart deals. But there's going to be a lot of really smart deals to do. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So real quick, our radio round just helps our listeners get to know you a little bit better. First question is, what's your favorite book? Man, the one that I I went through again recently, I don't even know if it's a book. It's more of like an audio training, but it was a Tony Robbins called Mastering Influence that I thought was really, really good. You know, we're all, we're all salespeople, whether you believe it or not. I mean, you're meeting with a seller, you're, you're interacting and learn how to just 
psychologically have that conversation, I think is super important. So I would say mastering influence. Yeah, for me, I'd say 10x is one that I always revisit. I'm a very vision goal oriented person. And it helps me just make sure, am I playing here? Or am I playing here, you know, where I really want right. to be at? So I, I love that push that I, I even get that just in the energy of his voice. I'm not <laughs> subscribed to everything that he teaches, but there's, there's amazing nuggets in what you want is what comes to you. Yeah, Grant's crazy with the motivation, but you can't buy into everything because he'll tell you not to buy a single family house. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> he'll tell you to work every day of your life, and I don't like that. So what is y'all's favorite quote? Man, for me, if I can't, I must. That has been something that has served me so well. Everybody that's listening out there, you know, if, if you don't have what you want in your life, it's because you're, you're staying too much in your comfort zone too much of the time. And anytime anything is scary, anytime anything feels painful, anytime anything feels uncomfortable, I've just conditioned myself to turn straight into it. And that's where growth is, right? That's where opportunity is. That's where we learn. That's where we change. That's where we grow. So when something feels uncomfortable, when it feels scary, when it fe- then you have to turn straight into it right in that moment. So I think if I can't, I must, I, I, I think is probably my favorite quote. Yeah. And I'd say for me, it's kind of something that we came up with. We've got shirts with it actually, but <laughs> get comfortable being uncomfortable. To Jason's point, there's, there's just no growth in your comfort zone. And I look back and think, man, we went out on all these kind of scary ledges and then we jumped, right? Because we had to, and we have very different personalities for sure, but it doesn't matter the personality type. You always have to be getting uncomfortable and kind of grading like how outside of my comfort zone is this? Because if not, we're not ever pushing up and leveling up. Awesome. And what's your favorite thing to do outside of work? For me, it's exactly where we're at, down at this place called The Ranch. It's in Southern Missouri. It's about 6,800 acres. I've been coming here for about 10 years. And so it's ATV trail riding and camping. And we actually travel with a group that we've called Adventure Posse. And so we go to different parks and ride our side-by-sides and, and four-wheelers and stuff like that. But for me, that's, that's my good outlet of being in places like this. Yeah, I'd probably I'd probably second that too, man. We've got coaching students down here with us now. We've got, you know, and everybody that's been here has been here for months. So, I mean, it, it's its own quarantine, but we're able to go outside. There, there's pools, there's cakes, there's caves, creeks. You know, we can fish, we can shoot, we can grill, we can have fun, we can be outside, you know. It's been a blast. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Y'all making me want to go there. Yeah. <laughs> come on, come on come down, on man. Down. It'd be come up. I'm in, I'm oh, in South come, Louisiana. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Come up. Yeah. So where can our listeners find out more about you? How can they find out about your coaching program? How can they learn about you? It sounds like you guys have a tremendous amount to give and I'm sure some of our listeners would would love to, to hook up. Man, probably the easiest place would just be to find us on Facebook, REI Blueprint, like Real Estate Investor Blueprint, REI Blueprint, or you can go to www.reiblueprint.com. We we really use the Facebook more than we use the webpage. So shoot us a message. We put a ton of free training and content on there as much as we can. We'll be doing events as yeah, soon as we, we normally can. do. Um, we normally do six or seven live three-day events per year. That's our favorite thing. It's all content, no sales, no yeah. outside selling speakers. It's just three full days of teaching you how to invest in real estate. We're doing some virtual events now. Yeah, we've been doing. We just did a virtual short sale training that we were kind of dreading doing because we love the live part. Sure. But it actually it actually awesome. went awesome. Yeah. Everybody loved it. It was through Zoom. So yeah, 
we'd love to help in any way we can. Awesome. Well, Jason, Rachel, thank you so much for joining the show today. I learned a ton and I'm sure our listeners will too. I look forward to connecting with y'all and keeping up in the future. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at rentrollradio.com or sterling at crestwordcapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing. <laughs>